Okay, from California. Yes, we're good to see good to see uh, my aunt and uncle and some of my cousins here today, and even some of my second cousins. So it's a family affair. And uh, actually, I have a cousin here today, Jeremy, that I haven't seen in over 20 years. And uh, goodness gracious, he's aged. <laughs> I haven't aged a bit since then, but uh, it's good to see him today and his wife and family. Yeah, thank you for being here. Uh, could I commend all of our folks who did such a great job at our event on Friday night? And uh, just thank you so much for serving uh, the boys and girls of Centennial Baptist School and Children's Center with all of your efforts. Thank you to everyone who came and participated, who prayed, uh, who gave toward our carnival and auction. And we don't have any numbers for you yet, but we'll let you know uh, it was a very successful event. And we had some new auctioneers this year, if you were there, uh, the Fairly Reliable Auction Brothers. And uh, they, they were fairly reliable. And, and if you saw their photos on Facebook, it was quite a deal with Cole and Scott acting those parts, and we just had such a great time. Pray for Doris McLaughlin, uh, one of our dear ladies who's in the hospital today and yeah, really struggling right now. And I pray for Sister Doris, and they let me know about that, and I'd really be praying for her. Uh, everybody remind me, because I'm starting to get for, forgetful, okay? At the end, we're going to sing to Brother Ivan. Uh, it's his 90th birthday on Tuesday, Okay. And so we're going to sing to him at the end today. And so you guys remind me, don't let me forget. Yeah, don't let us get out of here without doing that. Well, Palm Sunday is the historic celebration of Jesus entering into the city of Jerusalem for the week of Passover feast. And it's still celebrated all over the world. In fact, this morning you may not have heard, uh, but over in the Middle East, in Egypt, uh, two Coptic churches were bombed by ISIS on Palm Sunday. And 36 people so far have lost their lives, and, and uh, even the terrorists know what Palm Sunday is. And it's just such a horrible thing, and be praying for those families. But Jesus, as he went into Jerusalem, the week in which he would be crucified as Lamb of God, Lamb of Glory, as Connie just played, the Lamb who would take away the sins of the world, uh, he was greeted by folks with palm branches welcoming him into the city and saying, Hosanna. And it's one of the few times in history where the crowd ever got it right. Now, they quickly changed their mind over the week, and by the end of the week, they were saying, let him be crucified. But as he entered the city, they recognized him as the rightful Lamb of God, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. And I'm so glad that you're here to celebrate with us today. And make sure that you invite somebody to come next week as we rejoice in a risen Savior. And we always have such a great time on Easter. Uh, by the way, tonight at 5.30, we have starting point. And we had quite a crew last week, filled the whole lobby. And looking forward to starting point tonight, week two. And bring your book with you. Uh, if you weren't here last week, go ahead and come. We got extra books and we'd love for you to be here. We're in a series called Nailing It to His Cross. Last Sunday, we talked about nailing objections to the cross of Jesus. This morning, we're going to head over to Colossians in the New Testament for our initial text. And so head for Colossians. And if you're physically able, uh, once you get there to Colossians, would you stand for the reading? As we read there in Colossians chapter 2, here this morning, Colossians chapter 2. And verse number nine, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, 
and ye are complete in him. Well, that's quite a phrase. If you don't have that one underlined, that's a good one. You are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, where it also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and circum the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened, that means he's made us alive, together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Here it is, verse, here's our theme now, verse number 14. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And this morning, uh, let's pray, and then we'll talk about nailing our sins to his cross. Father, thank you so much that we could be here today. We pray for the families who have been affected by these bombings over in Egypt. We pray for those who claim the name of Jesus as their Savior as they seek to rejoice in you on this special day. And I pray that you would uh, just guide each one involved in that. Be with the folks here, the sheep at Centennial that are struggling and hurting with things today. Pray with Sister Doris. And we pray that you'd bless our service now in a special way that we would get exactly from this message what you'd want us to, and at the end of it, be willing and ready to nail our sins to his cross. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We said last Sunday that Jesus took everything that was against us and nailed it to his cross. But one of the major things that are against us is ourselves. As Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy, instructing those that oppose themselves. Have you ever thought possibly that the biggest enemy that you have is you? Isn't that crazy? And the biggest enemy that a lot of people have on their path to coming to Jesus Christ is that they will not submit their sins to his cross. Now there are a lot of things that are against us, but the ultimate thing that is against us is sin. And Jesus nailed the sins of the whole world to his cross. They're already nailed. It's finished. He's already done it. And all we have to do is accept what he's done. We're going to talk about it in four ways this morning. We'll travel uh, through several parts of Scripture and investigate several things. But let's start by talking about blotting out the handwriting. And the notes are provided in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along with us. Blotting out the handwriting. When I was in seventh grade, my school had a giant candy bar sale. And actually, it seems like they had one every year. But, but that year, uh, if you were the class winner for your grade... You got to go on an all-expense-paid trip to Disneyland. All right, now for kids going to school in Oklahoma, that was a pretty big thing. That's a pretty special prize, right? For us, going to Weatherford was a big deal, all right? And, uh, anybody ever been to Weatherford, Oklahoma? Okay, so you didn't miss much. Kyla's been there, and she knows. She can vouch that there's nothing there. But this was all the way to Disneyland, like in California. And so I had this ingenious idea, because I was about 13, and, and I still had a really squeaky voice um, yeah, that kind of went up and down. And, and so I, I uh, took and I commandeered my two little sisters, Emily and Sharon. 
And one of them was five and one of them was three. And we sold a massive amount of candy bars. And actually, what happened is, is the girls sold the candy bars, and I just walked around and collected the money. And, and when the numbers came out, I was the big winner from my class. And all the winners uh, got to go, and we rode together on this old over-the-road bus that may have been older than the bus driver himself. And we took off, and, and we drove across uh, western Oklahoma and across uh, the panhandle of Texas and New Mexico and Arizona. And when we got about 20 miles outside of Barstow, California, and by the way, it was the middle of the night, the old diesel engine on the bus gave up the ghost. He gone. Yeah, it, it was bad. And uh, we were stuck in the middle of the Mojave Desert in the middle of the night. And this was a long time before cell phones. Okay, this is like 1984, 1985. And it took hours for the sponsors to even flag down somebody who would drive them into town. And then it took a lot more hours uh, for them to get a hold of a church that had a church bus that they would loan to us. And we're sitting out there, these scared little kids in the cold desert, thinking of all the bad things that happened to people in the desert and talking about it to each other and making ourselves even more scared. Uh, but finally, at, uh, about breakfast time or after breakfast time, they got this old church bus out there and they got us all into a truck stop in Barstow, California. That whole story has brought us to this very important point because at this truck stop and at that truck stop is where I discovered for the first time invisible ink. All right, is, this is huge. This is a, a breaking point in my life, really. It blew my mind, and, and I uh, had so much fun that I bought not just one bottle, but I bought two bottles, and uh, in fact, my parents had sacrificed to give me this spending money, and I spent it on invisible ink, all right? Because uh, what happens is you squirt this stuff, and it's just such a hoop because there's this big spot on somebody, and then it goes away. And it's just this humorous thing. Now, you people apparently already knew about Invisible Ink, and it does not, doesn't bother you a bit. Uh, but I took the Invisible Ink, and I shot the sponsor who had been up all night, the grouchy male sponsor. Uh, I shot him right in the white shirt, because that's all he wore was white shirts. And I shot him right in the white shirt, and he had this huge black stain. And by the time he got up and his face got red, I said, what? What are you talking about? He looked down, and it was gone. That's the greatest thing in history. Have you, you guys apparently have never used Invisible Ink. I mean, you probably should go on Amazon today and purchase some Invisible Ink just to get a hoot out of life. But it didn't go so well, and then the ink disappears, and, and everything's okay. I don't know. Do they still have Invisible Ink? Maybe that's why nobody has reacted at all. Is that still a thing? Yes? Okay. They have it at the dollar store now? Probably so. Uh, every kid should try it. But, but think of this. Through forgiveness, through the forgiveness of Jesus, the list of broken laws that is against us can be wiped clean. So clean that it is like we have never done anything against God. That's much more miraculous than invisible ink. As far as the east is from the west. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. Justification is a Bible word, and it means that we've been brought to peace with God. And I, many years ago, I heard that the easy way to remember justification is it's 
just as if I'd never sinned. That's the power of nailing our sins to his cross. We have no ability to justify ourselves. But the blotting out that Jesus accomplished can erase our sins. Now, we clearly fall short of God's glory. It's, it's not even disputable. All have sinned. There's none righteous. Now, we've all heard this before. It's absolutely true. Deep inside, we all know it about ourselves. And yet, amazingly, Jesus took away all of our sins, all of our trespasses, all of our transgressions, all of our iniquities. Let's take just a moment. I don't want to get too deep here, but I want to distinguish with you just for a second between the terms that are used in Scripture to talk about our wrongdoings because they all reflect the fact that we've broken God's law. Now, sin means to miss the mark. Okay, Anything that falls short of God's glory, anything that falls short of God's complete holiness is a sin. And sin can be something that we do, but it could also be something we fail to do. Right? And, and maybe you've heard the terms sins of commission and sins of omission. That's sin. Here's what a trespass is. And you probably guessed this one just because of signs that you saw in somebody's yard, right? Trespass means to cross a line. Right? But it doesn't distinguish in Scripture whether you cross the line unintentionally or if you cross it on purpose. Now, how many of you, the game warden has ever come out and you told them you didn't know you were on private property? Right? And you, no, nobody's willing to admit this today. All right? Dawson, raise your hand. Okay. Um, you didn't know you were in the wrong section. I didn't know my deer went over the boundary, okay? Whatever it is. Uh, that's still a transgression. You crossed the line even if you didn't know that the speed limit was 45. Like you didn't know, right? Officer, I'm, I'm new to town. I didn't know that the speed limit dropped right here. Okay? And that happened to me once in Europe. Yeah, my wife and I had some friends. We rented a car in Paris, and we are going to drive out to Normandy. And uh, we got going, and we were tootling along, and we were driving this Alfa Romeo that I didn't discover had six gears until the way back, which is another story. But, um, but we got going, and uh, all, we were in a 130-kilometer, that's how you say it, kilometer per hour zone. And all of a sudden, it dropped to 90. I didn't know. I wasn't a local. And as I coasted down to 90, I saw this little red light go off. And when I got home, the French sent me a ticket. I didn't know. I was a newcomer. I was a guest in their country, right? I was a tourist, but I still transgressed their law. So that's a transgression. So you got sin, and not transgression, trespass. Now let's do transgression. Here we go. Transgression is a presumptuous crossing of the boundary. So uh, trespass doesn't distinguish, but transgression does. It means I knowingly go against what's right. I knowingly do what's wrong. I knowingly break God's principles. And then there's iniquity. Iniquity talks about a premeditated choice or a continuing in sin without repentance. When David committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then he had her husband killed 
and then he continued to live in sin for at least nine more months. That was iniquity. He kept going in sin, and he refused to repent. And so those are terms that are used now for our wrongdoings. But take it all. The worst of all that you've done, the worst of all that I've done is covered. It's blotted out. It's taken away. And here's what's even more miraculous. The blotting out covers all sin, past, present, and future. It is a one-time, all-time transaction. Now, that doesn't mean that tomorrow we should go sin on purpose. Right? But if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you sin tomorrow, it's already been blotted out. It's already covered by the blood of Jesus. It's already been nailed to the cross. And so there's the blotting out. But the second part is this, bleeding on the mercy seat. And this is very important. I hope you'll follow along with this one. We're going to trace some things through Scripture. And it take a few minutes on this, bleeding on the mercy seat. Given in the Old Testament instructions for the tabernacle and later the temple was a place of atonement called the Holy of Holies. And in it was the mercy seat. This place of atonement was the mercy seat where the sacrificial blood was sprinkled once every year. And if you remember the furniture of the tabernacle, if you've ever done your reading in Exodus, uh, you remember that the mercy seat sat directly on top the Ark of the Covenant. And out of the mercy seat came the cherubims. And the mercy seat was the place of mediation between God and man. But the Old Testament practice of annual sacrifice was only a symbol of the atonement. The blood of a sheep or a lamb could not take away the sins of the world. That atonement could only come through Christ himself. Now, I want you to go in the New Testament with me to 1 John chapter 2. So almost all the way to the back of the Bible, 1 John chapter 2. And it's such a powerful passage. If you've never studied it, I hope you will this week. 1 John chapter 2, and beginning of verse number 1 there, My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. We have an advocate. We have a mediator with God the Father. He's the propitiation. Now, that's, that's a big word. That's a hard word. And it comes from the Greek word halasmos, or halasmos, however you want to say it. If you don't know Greek, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, so I, I don't want to get too deep into this. I don't want to bore you, but I want you to see how great God's word is at explaining and commentating on its own words. So now go back just a few pages to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. We have an advocate with the Father. We have Jesus Christ, who is the propitiation for our sins. That's halasmos. All right, now I want to show you another usage of that word in Scripture. So here we go, Hebrews chapter 9. And in Hebrews 9, uh, it's talking about the, the tabernacle and the sanctuary of the Old Testament. Let's start it up in verse number 4. Which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold. 
wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and tables of the covenant. And over it, the cherubims of glory shadowing the, here it is, mercy seat. Now that word mercy seat is the same Greek root as propitiation. And it's about to get really good, okay? This is getting good. Of which we cannot now speak particularly. So here's this word halasmos, propitiation, tough word for us. And uh, what we find out is that it means mercy seat. Jesus, Scripture tells us, is the mercy seat for our sins. Okay, so he is the mercy seat. He is the mediator. He is the go-between between God and man. And on the mercy seat, blood had to be sprinkled. So here's Hebrews 9 now, and it's going to get gooder and gooder from here. Here we go. So the priest went in, it tells you all about it, and uh, he had this symbol, he did this figure, but look at verse number 11. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is to, that is to say not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. So Jesus, not this is so cool, because not only is Jesus the mercy seat, it's way beyond that. His blood is what was sprinkled on the mercy seat. And that's why we read earlier in Colossians that we are complete in him. Jesus is all we need. He's the mediator between God and man. He's our advocate with the Father. He's the propitiation, the mercy seat. And it was his precious blood as of a lamb without spot and without blemish that redeems us from the curse of sin. Wow, wow, wow. This is really good stuff from the scripture. It's unbelievable how great Jesus is and how wonderful he is. But there's more. And I want to uh, go now back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And let's see this third part today of the message Becoming sin for us. Becoming sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5 is one of my favorite chapters, and I have lots of favorite chapters. Uh, it would be a delight to work through this whole chapter this morning, but we only have time to look at the end. And, and so let's go to this very last verse, verse 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus became the ultimate sin offering. Since the time of Adam and Eve, animals had been sacrificed, taking the guilt of humans upon themselves as a symbol, as a temporary covering. Abel offered to God a sin offering. And it was that offering that made him righteous before God, it says in Hebrews 11. The law gave detailed instructions on how the sin offering had to be handled and how the sin offering had to be performed and everything about the sin offering had to be done just the right way. In becoming the sin offering for us, Jesus fulfilled the ceremony of every single part of the law. Now think about this. Jesus became what he had never been. 
because righteousness could not allow him to be. He became sin so that we could become what we had never been because the sin nature would not allow us to be. We can become righteous through him. The Father laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus became sin for us. It really is one of the most profound pictures in all of Scripture that Jesus would take upon him the sins of the whole world so that we could be made righteous. But it's the only thing that God would view as okay. It's the only thing that God would say, this pays for it. And so he bore our sins. But not only that, I want you to see this last part today because this is, it's so important that we get the full grasp on this. Bearing suffering in his own body. Bearing suffering in his own body. Maybe you've read Isaiah chapter 53 before and, and the wonderful promise 700 years before Christ that Messiah would be wounded for our transgressions, that he would be bruised for our iniquities, that only by his stripes could mankind be healed. He would be oppressed and afflicted, and yet open not his mouth, and he would be brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And I want you to think about this. The next time you experience suffering, the next time you experience hardship, would you consider Jesus as he agonized in the garden? The next time you're going through a struggle in your life, would you see Jesus on his face before the Father in the garden of Gethsemane as he cries out, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. And if not, not my will, but thine be done. Do you know, Many scholars believe that the experience in the garden was more difficult than the experience on the cross. It was in the garden where he sweat great, great drops of blood. It was in the garden when the capillaries inside of his body burst. It was in the garden where he was under immense pressure because he knew in the garden that the father would be taking his hand off of the sun. And that he would hang there before the world naked with his father's back turned on him. And the garden was the great suffering. When he said, let this cup pass from me, he wasn't talking about the cross. He was talking about his father turning his back on him. That's why when you read the prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17 at the end of the prayer, he says, it's finished. That was before the cross. He said, I've finished it because the garden was the hard part. Now, the cross, we look at that part too, and, and can you imagine uh, going through the day, the horrible day that Jesus experienced the day when he gave his life for our sins on the cross? As he was beaten with a cat of nine tails, as he was mocked, he was spat upon, he was hit with a reed, they jammed a crown of thorns into his head. He was hung upon the cross and had to pull himself up on the cross for every breath as he hung there. 
And when we think about his suffering, it helps us to get our suffering in view. Here's why. Throughout world history, especially I would say in 2017, there are a lot of people who think that their predicament, their suffering, their circumstance, their problem is bigger than anybody's ever been. Right? They think that I have got more problems than anybody's ever had. And nobody's been in the pit I'm in. And nobody's had the problem I've, I've been in. And listen, could I tell you as Americans, we should not ever once ever think that. Uh, go travel around the world a little bit, and you'll find out that we've got it pretty good even when it's bad. Uh, even when we think we've got it the worst we could ever have it. Can you imagine the Coptic Christians who went into their church buildings, some of them that have been around for over 2,000 years, they went in there to worship this morning. And as they went to worship on Palm Sunday, terrorists blew up their church buildings. That's a little worse than what we have it. That could be worse than what you posted on Facebook when you said this is the worst day ever. It could be. We think we've got it bad Jesus hung on a cross. He experienced the most bodily torture, suffering, anguish that there's ever been. And he did it to defeat our sins. He did it to defeat our sufferings. I want to close in Romans chapter 8 this morning. Romans chapter 8. If you're ever looking for passage of scripture to really get in tune with and really study and maybe even memorize or maybe it's your family devotion time a, a chapter to read and study and memorize together Romans 8 is a great candidate for this it starts by saying this in verse number one there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit Here's today's big truth. By being made in the likeness of sinful flesh, Christ alone condemned sin in the flesh. Now, this is doctrinal, but it's also powerful, and it's also so important for us. The only thing that could condemn sin in our flesh was the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. It's the only thing. And because of what he did, because he became sin for us, because he became the likeness of sin for us, it condemns sin in the flesh. It goes on to give us these beautiful promises. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son, in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. You know, Jesus condemning sin in the flesh is the most powerful thing that we have going for us in our daily walk. It's difficult as people who still have a sinful nature, it's difficult for us to walk through this life without experiencing anger and bitterness and greed and jealousy 
and lust and all the things that we have in our flesh. But there is a way, there is a path for us to be able to walk in the glory life. There's a path that Jesus gave us to have victory over the sinful nature. And that's today's faith challenge. And as we read Romans 8, we understand. Look at verse number 8. It's so simple. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. If you came to church this morning in your flesh, your presence here today does not please God. If you read on your Bible app this week on your phone or your iPad or you actually took a Bible at your house and read it and you did it in your flesh just to check it off the list, it didn't please God. If you prayed before mealtime but you didn't really mean it, you didn't really care what you said, it doesn't please God. Anything we do in our flesh cannot please God even if we do what we think are good things. The only way we please God is to walk in the Spirit. And that's today's faith challenge. When we walk after the Spirit, we experience victory over the sin nature. When we walk in the Spirit, we don't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. When we walk in the Spirit, we're living the victorious life that Jesus paved through nailing our sins to the cross. There's a whole lot of frustrated Christians. There's a whole lot of angry Christians. There's a whole lot of Christians who are discouraged in their faith and in their families and their relationships. You know why that is? Because we forget that Jesus did that. We forget that he already nailed our sins to his cross. And we don't have to live in the depths of sinful despair anymore. We've been given victory over it. But yet we mope through the day. Oh, well, it's just the way I've always been. It's the way my daddy was. My, the way my grandpappy was. It's the way I'm always going to be. And what we're saying is, Jesus, when you hung my sins on the cross, you didn't do a good enough job. That's what we're telling him. We're saying, Jesus, I know you gave me salvation through your blood and all that stuff, but you can't defeat my wicked habits through the cross. You can't get rid of, of the things that have tormented my life through your cross. And we're telling Jesus that his sacrifice is not effective enough to give us a victorious life. Can you imagine going up to the Savior hanging on the cross, blotting out your handwriting of ordinances with his own blood and saying, Jesus, I know you're doing all this for me, but I'm still going to live my life based on how I feel because your sacrifice just isn't big enough. You might as well spit in his face. That's what our sins did. And when he hung our sins on the cross, he said to us, not only do you get eternal life if you accept this. Not only do you get justification and atonement if you accept this. But you get a lifestyle where if you come before me and say, Spirit, I want to walk with you. I want to walk in you. I want your power over my life. That I can give you victory over sin itself. 
I can give you victory over lust. I can give you victory over addiction. I can give you victory over pornography. I can give you victory over the addictions and the pains that are hurting you. Jesus did that. Now it's up to us whether or not we'll come before his cross and claim it. It's up to us whether or not we will submit to the Holy Spirit and realize what Jesus did on the cross for us when he blotted out our sins. Maybe you're here today. You've never heard this terminology. You've never heard this story. You, you don't know what Jesus has done and why he did it. Could be somebody that's here today who says, I don't know for sure where I'd spend eternity. Maybe you're a Christian who's been living in carnality because you're discouraged by sin. And maybe you need to be reminded of what the Savior's done for you. Maybe we need to be reminded of the cross. Be reminded of how much he gave to pay for our sins. Let's bow together this morning.